All right, if you have your Bibles this morning, I want to invite you to turn with me to Romans chapter 12, and we're going to continue on with our study in the, in the letter to the church of Rome that Paul the Apostle sent there. We'll be in Romans chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 1. We're just going to read a handful of verses, and then we're going to get into the text this morning. Give you a minute or two here. Okay, a second or two. How's that? All right. If you all would follow along with me. Paul continues, and this is what he says. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of worship. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This morning as we continue on, Paul the Apostle is going to now lay out for us um, the whole concept of, of, of actually Uh, sanctification. And we're going to look at that this morning, but I want to have a word of prayer before we go. Father God, thank you, Lord, for every person that's here today. God, I just ask you for your help this morning, and I thank you, Lord, that your spirit is always able and willing and doing the work that you have sent for him to do. And so, Lord, I know that I'm speaking to lots of different people, Lord, that I don't necessarily know intimately about all their lives, but God, you know every single person here. You know all that they're thinking in these moments, God. You know the week they've had. You know where they've come from. You know the parents they were raised by. You know the entire history of their life, God. Your word tells us that you knew us even as you formed us in the womb of our mothers. So, God, we are confident this morning that as we go to your word that we know that your Holy Spirit will speak to each person exactly where they are. Thank you, God, that we are confident of this. We know that your word will never return void. So, Father, I pray your Holy Spirit would just encourage us this morning, would teach us and show us what your word has to say. And we ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, as you all have, we're kind of getting back to Romans now, so it's been a little while. But if you remember, as we've been studying through the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul has been laying out the groundwork, uh, if you will, of the gospel. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. And then Paul begins to lay out for the church in Rome, those he had never even met, who had come to faith in Christ, probably were there at Pentecost when the apostles themselves were were speaking. And uh, under the Holy Spirit, they came from all over, and men came and women came from all over the known area and surrounding area. Many of them, speaking different languages, came at that time and heard the gospel being shared in their own language. We know that many of them came from Rome and that they were there at the time of Pentecost and fulfilling what the Jews were supposed to do and keeping with the the Passover and everything that was happening. And this is now 50 days after, um, and we see these Jews now coming back into Jerusalem. And these probably were those that heard this message from Peter and from the apostles there when they came back to Jerusalem during that time. And now they're back in Rome. The early church began, and the church is compiled now, of both Jews and Gentiles, okay? 
We know that they were actually, the Jews were asked to leave Rome and they left for a while and then the decree was lifted and they could come back. And so the early church went through a period of time where only Gentiles were allowed to be left in Rome and the Jews had to leave because of the decree that was given that no Jews were to remain there in Rome. They came back and now Paul is addressing the early church there, the believers in Rome, and he's now going to give them the entire foundation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that the Jews uh, were still keeping the feasts and the Sabbaths and so on and so forth. And then they were expecting the Gentiles to do the same. But Gentiles are not under the law, never were under the law. That was not something given to the Gentiles. And so there was some disruption probably in the early church. And Paul wants to address to them this incredible gospel that it's not uh, a gospel of works. It's no longer under the law. They've been set free from the law. And he begins with the very foundation that whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Gentile, that every single one of us is guilty before God. Therefore, God had sent his son to be the one who would bring a reconciliation of people that have sinned against God and now brought them into relationship to God through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. He lays out the foundation that all men are guilty before God, that everything that can be known about God, including his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature can be clearly seen by what he has created so that all men are without excuse. You cannot look at creation and not know in your own heart of hearts that there is something dynamic to this creation. That it didn't just happen from a cosmic belch uh, one afternoon in the middle of nowhere and all of this came from nothing. We know that not to be the case, but the truth is that there's so much uh, design in all of creation. There's so much order in creation that there is a creator and his name is the Lord God Almighty. And he created all of this. And so men, whether you're Jew or Gentile, are without excuse before God. So you know there's a God, he says. So all men are, are, are guilty before God just on the basis of his own creation, which cries out to God all the time. That's why I encourage young people to get involved in the outdoors, to set down your gaming devices, which will teach you really radically nothing about the creator God. They're only going to show you what men can do. Get outside in creation and you will begin to see creation speaking the glories of God. It doesn't matter if you're watching a cow grazing in the pasture, if you're watching a horse, if you're out watching deer or fishing or whatever it is. When you're in creation, creation is singing the praises of God just doing what creation does in its own element. And so I encourage young people to get involved in that. But as we're moving further and further away from an agricultural society, and many people are living and growing up in cinder block, cement, and asphalt societies, they're seeing less and less of the God of all creation, and they're seeing more and more of what men has made. And so therefore, there come some challenges that need to be overcome, and that is just getting out in creation and seeing what God has made and created for us to enjoy. So Paul moves on from there and says, let me tell you why you're all guilty. You're guilty because Adam, the first man, the first one where all men come from, Adam, what did Adam do? Adam disobeyed God and he surrendered his rightful place and his authority and his dominion that he had over the earth. He surrendered that to the serpent, 
when he came under his authority and obeyed the serpent instead of obeying God, what did he do? He sinned against God, and from that point on, all men have experienced death because death is a result of sin. Therefore, all men are born in sin and die because of sin. And the first Adam sinned and brought death to all men. And then God did something incredible. What did he do? He sent his son who took upon flesh and dwelt among men. What did Jesus Christ do? He was what the Bible says is the second Adam. The second Adam did not sin. In fact, Jesus Christ came in the image of God, who is God, bore um, the sin of mankind in order that sinful man could be made right with God because the sinless God, Son, Jesus Christ, paid for your penalty and my penalty, and he took our place and made a way for us to be made right with God. That is the incredible news of the gospel. Another thing it's incredible about is that Paul says, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew, it doesn't matter if you're a Gentile. This good news of the gospel is for every single person who will trust in the work of Christ, the Son of God, to provide for them this amazing free gift of salvation. And it's for everyone who hears it to respond accordingly to what they believe. What an incredible story of the gospel. So Paul then is explaining now about the Jews. Some people say, well, God has abandoned the Jews. No, we went through that. Listen, everything in the world is centered around a piece of dirt in the Middle East right there called Israel. It always has been. It always will be. It is the center of the world. God is not through with Israel as we've learned in chapter 11. What happened? Israel rejected Christ as the Messiah. This is not God's plan B. He's not punting on fourth or kicking a long field goal on fourth down, hoping that this thing will work. This has always been God's plan. This has always been his perfect sovereign way. Israel has been hardened and they rejected Christ as the true Messiah who was to come. So what happened? The gospel then is opened up to the Gentiles. Why is that? Because God is going to have mercy and grace Straight across the board, whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Gentile, the mercy and the goodness and the grace of God has come to all men. That is the goodness of God, every single one. And so the Jews now are still living in disobedience to Christ, that he is the Messiah. If you go talk to a Jew today in Israel, you can talk to a Jew here in the United States that is no longer living in Israel or has never gone back to live in Israel. You ask them what they think about the Messiah. When is he coming? Who is he? What is he going to do? The Jews, as a nation, are still waiting for the, for the Christ to come, for the Messiah to come. He's going to usher in this time of peace. And Israel is still waiting for the, for, the, for the Messiah to come, for God to fulfill his promises to them in the Old Testament. Those covenant promises are going to happen, and they're going to happen in the future, and they're happening even now. We know that out of World War II, something incredible took place. This has happened in your lifetime, and many of you here, it didn't happen in my lifetime, sorry to say, since I'm so young, right, 26? No, the truth is, we know that World War II brought about something. We know that we have the United Nations and the United Nations then looks at these people that have been oppressed by, by the Third Reich, and they have been wiped out. Many of them, over six million Jews, were actually slaughtered there and put in death camps. 
Of course, Satan's still working against God's chosen people, trying to annihilate them and get them off the face of the earth. We know that since AD 70, when Titus came to Rome and destroyed the temple and the walls of Jerusalem, that no Jew, there was no country, there was no established people there in Jerusalem that the Jews themselves could call their home. But something happened incredible in 1948 after the World War II. The United Nations, in our day and in our time, many of you, they voted to allow the displaced Jews to go back to their home. So since A.D. 70 until 1948, listen to this, if you do not believe in a sovereign God, you need to look at the nation of Israel. So in 1946 and 1947, we have now the Dead Sea Scrolls being found. And in the Dead Sea Scrolls, we're finding all these Old Testament prophets. And some of these prophets, what they're talking about, we read them in the pages of Scripture. What do we find? It talks about the covenants of God, that Israel's going to be brought back into her homeland. She's never going to be leaving again. She's going to rule and reign there. And it's going to be a time of peace and prosperity for the nation of Israel. Well, guess what? In 1948, Israel became its own state, 1948. And since 1948 until this very day, there's Israel back, many of them, in their own homeland, still there today, and they're not living in peace. There's still no peace really in Jerusalem. It's a place of turmoil. We have countries in our own world that would like to wipe Israel off the face of the map and every single Jew that would ever live we have an anti-Semitic worldview for some people that, that they still hate these Jews, right? Why? Satan hates the Jews. He always has. He wants to wipe them off. Why? Because the Messiah came through the Jewish nation. He was the way in which the Messiah of the world would come from King David, the throne. Christ would come from that. The Jews are still waiting for Messiah. We know Jesus Christ to be the Messiah. He came 2,000 years ago in God's perfect sovereign plan. He is allowed now for Gentiles to be brought into the very people of God. How incredible is our God? He's absolutely amazed. If you're here this morning and you're a Gentile, you're not a Jew. You are outside the covenants of God. You are outside the people of God. You are not a part of the chosen people of God that he set his affection on, that he separated for himself, that he made into a mighty nation, that he called his own people to be peculiar living in this world. That does not include you, but it does if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of Christ, you now can be grafted into the people of God, forgiven of all of your sin before God, receive the righteousness of Christ, be grafted into the very people of God, adopted as a son or daughter of the Lord God Almighty, and you will be with God forever. This is an incredible thing. What an incredible gospel. And Paul now has spent 11 chapters explaining this incredible gospel so that people can understand the true gospel. By the way, the gospel is not by works. Religion is all about works. It's about what you do, what you don't do, how you do it. Religion is like running into a squeeze chute, a hydraulic chute, running your head through the gate, and then somebody hitting the handles and squeezing the life out of you. That's what religion does. Let me tell you what Christ has done. You were already in the squeeze chute, having the life squeezed out of you. Jesus Christ came, and he set you free. That's what Jesus Christ did, and he did it in relationship. What a good God we serve. Amen? Amen. So if you're here today and you're in Christ, you are free. 
And he who the Son sets free will be free indeed, is what the Bible tells me. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you know nothing about truly being free. You're still held in bondage and captivity, and you're still enslaved to the enemy. Satan himself still has you in bondage and slavery, and your eyes are still blinded to the truth, and he's having his way with you. And he has come, what? To kill, to steal, and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that they may have life, and they would have it to the fullest. This gospel is for every single person, everyone. You say, well, pastor, you're kidding me. If you really knew what I've done, surely God couldn't forgive that. There's not anything that the blood of Jesus Christ will not cover and wash, nothing whatsoever, nothing. God's grace is greater than any sin you've ever committed. His son paid the highest price for you. His love, he demonstrated for you. And while that, you were still a sinner. I was still a sinner. What did Christ do? Christ said, I'll go. I'll pay your price. Father, what you demand for justice, I will provide that in a sinful, sinless life. I will lay it down. And you can crush me and take the world of the sin and put it on me. That's a God of a tremendous love that you and I cannot even comprehend. But we receive it and we thank God for it. Amen? Amen. So at the end here of chapter 11, there's something I want to read to you so that we can kind of grasp where Paul is going to this. Let's start in verse 25. And we kind of left off with this. It's been several weeks now as we've gone through some other teaching, but let's get back to this. Now, I want you to be able to grasp this before we really can appreciate Romans chapter 12. Christian, if you're not free, you need to be free in Christ. There is no reason for us to ever be enslaved or in bondage. Why? Because we are in Christ Jesus. He has come and he set you free. And we stand before God, holy and blameless in his sight, because we've been placed in Christ Jesus the Son. How incredible is that truth? Okay, starting in verse 25 of chapter 11, we're going to begin to make our way through here. Follow along with me. Paul says, less. Now, he's talking about being engrafted. We've, we've been engrafted. It's kind of like... Um, what we talked about in Church in the Dirt today, talking about what it means uh, when we graft a calf on a cow and how all this stuff works, what it really means and what really took place that we are clothed with Christ. In other words, that hide off her calf that died was placed now on me or on that calf. Christ, his body, his blood was broken for me. His blood was shed for me. And so that hide that goes over that calf when it walks in the pen with that cow and what does she do? She smells that hide and she recognizes that that was her calf, although it's covered and it's over something that was not hers. She smells it. She receives it. She accepts it. Why does she do it? Because it's covered with the scent of her calf. Same thing in Christ. When God looks at you and he looks at me, do you know what he sees? He sees his son. You have been placed in Christ Jesus. You've been covered by the blood of the Lamb. And when the Father looks at you, he looks at your life, although we still fail, we still fall short, what does he see? He sees the Son. You are identified with Christ. Therefore, clothe yourself with Christ Jesus. So you'll stand before God. Why? Because of your own merits? Because you're good enough? Because you walk the line? You toe the toe? You step the step? You walk the walk? We're going to talk about how important it is we do that, but that's not what bases me uh, right with God. What makes me right with God is not what I do, it's what Jesus Christ did. 
That's what makes me right with Christ. Praise God for that. What an amazing God we serve. Okay, moving right along. Lest you be wise in your own sight, speaking here to Gentiles, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery. Paul's going to share a mystery. We learned about this mystery. A partial hardening has come upon Israel, kind of like the hardening that we read about other places in Scripture, until the fullness of Gentiles has come in. How was God going to show the same grace, the same mercy, the same justice and everything to the Gentiles that he showed to the nation of Israel? The only way he could do that was by giving them the same opportunity that he gave the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel was nothing. He made a covenant with Abraham and said, Abraham, this is what I'm going to do with you. You're 90 years old. Your wife's going to be 90, excuse me, you're going to be 100 when this all happens. 25 years lapse from 75 to 100. He says, you're going to be made into a great nation. His wife is barren. He says, you're going to be a father of many nations. In fact, Abraham, let me tell you something. I'm going to bless the entire world through you, Abraham. You have no children. You're an old man. Your wife is barren. There's not a chance anywhere that she's going to be able to have a baby. Because God says, what I'm going to do is going to be supernatural. This is my own choosing. This is my own choice. This is my own plan. Abraham, I'm going to use a washed up man, and I'm going to use a washed up woman. And if you believe this, I'll prove how true that I am. And Abraham says, I believe, God, that I'm going to have... I'm going to have descendants as numerous as the sand on the sea and the stars in the sky. And God fulfilled his promise to Abraham, and he chose and made a nation from this man. Takes Israel through, the, through, through Jacob and, and through all of the sons and so on and so forth, and he makes now 430 years they're in captivity and they're in slavery. What was God doing? He was making for himself a nation of people. Sends Moses, Moses in, takes them out of slavery gathers them as himself, leads them through the wilderness. Now God is leading his own people. He's providing for his own people. He's doing everything for his own people. And now he's going to show the Gentiles the exact same grace, mercy, and goodness in what he's done in Christ. He is just. God is perfect in all that he does. It's absolutely incredible when you study the scripture to see how God has done this. So the fullness of Gentiles is going to come in. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying there is a final Gentile who will come to faith in Christ during the church age, the age of grace that we're in. And when that Gentile comes in, what God's going to do? He reverts what? Back to his covenant promises with the nation of Israel. He's not forgotten Israel. That's why we see all this happening in our day. Dear Christian, listen. Why do you think the Jews ever came back to the homeland? Why do you think God has orchestrated world wars, world events, and absolutely everything that he has done through his own timepiece, his own clock, and his own sovereign will, bringing back a people who were kicked from their own nation from AD 70, never, they were still under Roman rule then. They haven't been under their own rule and their own ruleship and kingship from way back in the Old Testament. In fact, from the time they went into the Babylonian captivity under Nebuchadnezzar, they have never sat under their own king. Think about this. Why? Because God told Daniel, there's going to be four Gentile kingdoms left for the whole duration of the timepiece of this entire age. And then finally, 
The stone not cut out by human hands is going to roll down. Who is that? Jesus Christ is the rock of ages. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. He is the cornerstone. His kingdom was going to come down and destroy all the Gentile kingdoms. And Christ himself will set up his own kingdom here upon the earth. He said, let me tell you how many kingdoms there's going to be. There's going to be four. Let me give you the names of the kingdoms, by the way. And I'm even going to tell you the name of the men that are going to be involved in the kingdom and some of them. He says, the first king is going to be this. Tell Nebuchadnezzar, you are the Babylonian king. That's what you are. But after you is going to come another kingdom. It's going to be a divided kingdom. Guess who it was? The Medes and the Persians. After the Medes and Persians were in power, guess what? God sent someone else, a man by the name of Alexander the Great. Study your history book. He, who, who took over that? The Greek Grecian, they took over that empire. And they ruled, and they ruled, and they ruled. And then what happened? Well, guess what happened? The Romans take over. Just as God told Daniel in the Old Testament that there's going to be these four Gentile kingdoms, and then my kingdom is going to come and rule upon the earth. We are in the time of still, the fourth kingdom. We're still there in that kingdom. At the time of Christ, who was ruling and reigning? The Romans were. The Roman kingdom was even in place when Jesus was here. The Romans have come in, come out, but let me tell you something. The Roman kingdom is still alive and well upon the earth. And this final fourth kingdom was going to be a compilation of all the other kingdoms. And you read in Revelation what the beasts looked like. And you read about the different, different beasts that were corresponding with the different kingdoms. And what do we have? We have all this coming together. What is coming together? It's coming together where God is going to now bring everything to focus and center around the nation of Israel. And it's still going to be that way until Jesus Christ comes again. Some people say, well, John, what about the Zionist movement? This is men doing that. Let me tell you something. God will use whatever means he uses in order to accomplish his sovereign plan and will. It'll happen. Very interesting that our own president moved our embassy to where? Jerusalem. Would God do what he's doing even with our nation? To, he'll, he'll do whatever he wants to do. So don't count Israel out. God's not through with Israel. And that's why they're still hated to this very day. And God is sovereign, dear Christian. So until the fullness of Gentiles come in, that's why we preach the gospel. That's why we share the gospel. Because there's coming a day when God will say, okay, the age of grace, the door is shut. As it was in the days of Noah is what it tells us in Matthew. So shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. The ark door is going to shut. Christ will come for his church. God zeroes back into Israel. Then we have the rise of the Antichrist, the world ruler. Why do you think we have so much pushing toward one world? Why do we do this? It's all part of God's plan. That's why our presidents all talk about the new world order. Why is that? It's all part of God's plan. How are we bringing the whole world together? <laughs> Technology. All kinds of things that God is perfectly orchestrating to make it all come together. What an incredible God we serve. Dear Christian, this should greatly encourage you to understand that your God is the one true God. He is sovereign in every single thing. And no one will thwart his plan. And so Paul reminds us all the way back here when he wrote this to the first church. In, in Rome there, the early church in Rome, the Christian church there that was there. When the fullness of Gentiles has come in, and then it says, in this way all Israel will be saved. And he moves down, he says, as regards to the gospel, 
talking about Israel. They are enemies for your sake, he says. But as regards to election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Aren't you glad that God doesn't change his covenant promise? He made a covenant with all of us when he shed his blood on the cross of Calvary. That was a blood covenant. God made that with you. He's not going to change his covenant. It won't happen. God is unchanging. Thank Lord for that. His promises are true. And then he says, For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received what? Mercy. See, mercy is the compassion of God. If, if you were to put me on the stand, and you all were the jury, and they were to say, okay, let's, let's talk about your life here, preacher. I am guilty before God for everything that I've done to break his laws, to, 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 to disobey him, to do all those things. Those things have happened in my life. There's no way I can get around it. <laughs> we've all been there and we've all done it. But Jesus Christ comes and he says, but let me do something here. I'm the only one that can do this because I am the judge. I am going to, understanding the justice of God requires that a sacrifice be made because what's it saying here? Without the shedding of the blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. What does it say? For the wages of our sin is what? Death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So what did Jesus do? Jesus says, I am the judge. I will judge the living. I will judge the dead. I am the judge of all creation. Guess what I'm going to do? Since I am judge, I'm going to come. And I know that for all humanity, it requires death, that the sacrifice has to be made because the wages or the payment of sin is going to require that. That's because that's God's justice standard. What did God do? God came in the form of his own son, in the person of Jesus Christ. And he says, I'm the only one that can do this. I'm going to pay. I'm going to spend the time in jail, this time in prison, because it's going to have to be dealt with. I'm not going just to quit the guy, but I'm going to serve his sentence, and I'm going to allow him to be set free. That is what Jesus did for you. Jesus says, I know, Father, that justice, see, justice is important, that justice deserves that the penalty has to be met. So God says, I'm going to pay the price in order that man can be set free from the penalty of their very own rebellion and rejection of me. And Jesus paid the price, he gave the time, and he offered his own body to be sacrificed for you. That's what Christ did. That's called mercy. That's called grace. Dear Christian, oh, how incredible this is. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you don't know this Jesus. Maybe this is the first time you've ever heard this. Oh, God did an incredible thing for you. Trust and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Amen. For there is no other name under heaven whereby men might be saved. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. 
and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. There's only one way. It's through Christ. So he moves on and he says, For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient, listen, in order that the mercy might be shown to them now, that they might receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that, they may have, that he may have mercy on all. And then Paul does exactly what some of you are feeling here now. Say, Lord, this is incredible. Paul can hardly contain himself. He says, oh, the depth and the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him, through him, and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. And then Paul now shifts gears. For 11 chapters, you've been in the round pen. And Paul has been teaching you foundational truths of the gospel for the first 11 chapters. And now Paul says, now, guess what? Now that the foundation has been established, you understand who you are in Christ, even though it's hard to grasp how incredible it is. Now that you truly know what it means to be completely forgiven and set free, now that you understand that you are justified before God and you'll stand before him one day, not on your merits, but on the merit of God, his son. You are free. You've been given his righteousness and he took upon himself and bore your sin. You've been justified, made right, redeemed, purchased, adopted into the family of God. Now you're a son or daughter. You, you belong to the king. Paul says, okay, now that we have a foundation, what does he do? He opens the gate from the round pen, and he gives the horse his head. Now what does he say? Now we're going to live on the outside, who we are on the inside. And that's where Paul goes with chapter 12. So tomorrow, next week when we come back, Paul's going to open the round pin up. Foundation's been laid. And now he's going to share with us what it means now. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, <laughs> to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray.
Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we want to thank you this morning, and we are overjoyed knowing that you are our Savior. Christ, thank you for your sacrifice. Lord, my prayer is, God, that there will be no one here that does not understand this simple gospel. It is not difficult. It is not hard to understand. It requires my faith, but God, you'll even give me faith to even believe that this is true. Father, I thank you, Lord, that though I was guilty at one time before you because of my sin and rebellion, that I do stand before you like my brothers and sisters in Christ today, holy and acceptable before you because we are in Christ. Now that we understand who we are on the inside, this new birth, this new creation that's taken place inside of us, Lord, now we have the incredible privilege of living on the outside who we really are on the inside. That before I was in Christ, I was simply doing exactly what an unbeliever would do. Someone who was spiritually dead. Someone who was living after the prince of the power of the air and, and gratifying the things of our flesh and doing exactly what we were made to do, being born in sin. The thing that we were, we were already. But God, you have transformed us. We're new, God, because of this new regeneration that happened in Christ. We're no longer what we once were. Praise God for that. We're not what we're going to be one day when we are in your presence. But God, you are in the process of making us more like your son. Thank you, Lord, for that. And my prayer, as always, if there's anyone here this morning or listening that does not know you, Jesus, I pray your Holy Spirit right now would go to that person and that you would speak their name and they would know that God is speaking to them and they would surrender their broken life to you their sinful life, that they would trade it, that they would re release it, they'd repent of that, turn away from that, and they would follow after you, Jesus. And by faith, they would believe that what you did on the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago was God pouring his mercy and grace out for them that they might be reconciled to God, adopted into the family of God, placed in Christ Jesus, forgiven, redeemed, atoned for, and they belong to the king of glory, taken from the kingdom of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of the glorious son. And for that today, we are very grateful. And for that, we give you praise and glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.